In 1 Corinthians 11, it says this, and I'm going to skip ahead from where we're going to start, but 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28 says, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let a person examine himself. I don't know that self-examination in light of the all-knowing God is something that we, we do frequently or that we do well. Our world and, and the people around you oftentimes will say that you should accept yourself for the way that you are. And, there, and there's a sense in which like self-hate is not what we are promoting here. We're not promoting self-hate. That's a misunderstanding. But what, what we are promoting is this, is that I'm examining myself, I'm examining myself to, to see whether I'm in alignment with where God is. And, and too often, what's happening and what's infiltrating into our church is that it's not self-examination, it's world approval. It's not self-examination, it's, it's find someone else who does believe like I do and go along with them. It's something along those lines versus saying, all right, how can I open up the word of God to me and, and through godly people, godly counsel, through the power of the Holy Spirit to say, okay, I'm going to ingest this, I'm going to take it in, and I'm going to allow it to change my life. And indeed, I'm even going to ask God to change my life, like to take, take those words and like make them food for me and, and make me eat these things and say, I'm going to digest them. I'm going to process them in a way that says, like, I want things to be different. But what's happening with this church, and I believe that likewise in our church, because human nature is the same, is that we're always looking for ways to assimilate into our culture. We're always looking for ways to not be the odd man out, to not be the weird Christian and so therefore what we try and do is we try to find approval for the things that we do. And this church was doing the same thing because they regularly said, all things are lawful. I can do whatever I want. And Paul continually is reminding them that self-control is incredibly important as a believer in Jesus Christ. Self-control, self-restraint. The idea that I'm not just looking out for myself, but I'm looking out for others. I'm looking out for, for them and their walk with Jesus. And so I'm, I'm looking into my world and, and I'm saying, how, how can I be here for them? That's what I need to be doing. But what's happening is I'm, it really becomes all about me. And so church, as a result, gathers itself around uh, what our needs are. And so church becomes for churched people. And church is uh, primarily only for church people so, so many times. And we don't open a way for people who've not been a part of the local church to say, here's, here's who Jesus is. Here's an easy inroad. 
We're, we're not people who are, who are thinking about others and saying, I, I, I want them to be a part of my church. But really what we're saying is, I want my church to serve my needs. I want my church to say what I want them to say. And in my heart of hearts as a pastor who must speak the word of God, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel and, and, and say what's in there. It is so many times, it is so difficult to, to stand here and tell you what the word of God says, because here's the thing that I know is that I am also a, a man, a person of this world. I'm, I'm, I'm a human. I have desires. I have things that, that, that I want, and I know what you want in many cases. And so what's so difficult about it is that the word offends us. And so what I, I want to ask you is, are you open to examining yourself at the risk of being completely offended? Completely offended. Are you open to being offended by the word of God? And if you are not, you need to reevaluate where you're at. Because the word of God is offensive. God has positioned himself and has called himself father for a reason. I am a father and I offend my children daily. I offend their sensibilities. I uh, offend their sense of, of um, so, so, uh, self-control, their ability to control their own lives. One of my children recently said to me, I, uh, you're always demanding that I do things. You're always telling me what to do. And I, I try to very kindly say, I, you know, I'm trying to say, I don't want to be demanding, but that's not going to stop. Sorry, you know, like, like I'm going to demand things of you, right? Yeah, like it's just, it's just the way it's going to be in, in my house, you know. I, I overcome their will every time they're going to hurt themselves or hurt others. I stop them in their tracks. And, I, and I, 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 I grab them. I, I pull them back. I restrain them. I discipline them. God is our Father. He restrains us. He disciplines us. He tells us things that we do not want to hear. He causes us uh, to become offended. So, at the risk of offending you, here we go. Chapter 11, verse 2, begins with a a backhanded compliment, and it is in light of verse 31 which, uh, of chapter 10, which says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. And then he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. All of this is in light of everything that he's been saying. You guys aren't thinking about other people. You're doing your own thing. It's, it's, it's about your glory instead of the glory of God. You're continually trying to do your own thing. And we have to take this, and it's offensive in some ways, and that is we're continually trying to thwart the glory of God and what he has for us. 
We're continually trying to say, like, it is about my glory. The church's programs and the things that are going on there should be about me. It should meet my needs. Your teaching should say what I want you to say. You should be politically aligned where I'm politically aligned. We should, and, I, and hopefully I've offended you by now because I've tried to immensely. Both sides of the issue, right? So if you've been here for any amount of time, we've purposefully done that. But... It's not about us, it's about the glory of God. So he says, now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. He's saying, I'm commending you, I'm going to tell you that uh, you're carrying on the teaching that I gave you. And so you're carrying out these church gatherings and you're, you're, you're doing right in that respect. So I'm commending you in that. But... There's a, there's a big but right there. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. That's good. The head of uh, a wife is her husband. Ouch. And the head of Christ is God, right? Uh, there, 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 there's, there's something offensive for you. So we'll just wait and see. Who's going to get up? Who's going to get up? Who's leaving, all right? Let's talk about that for just a second. Uh, this is not going to be feminism, nor is it going to be chauvinism. It's not egalitarianism, nor is it subordinationism. This is not uh, feminism in, 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 in the way that says it, it, we could react like, like a feminist, like our feminist sensibilities that our world has. And indeed, in many regards, there are some things that we can agree biblically with the feminist movement. And we can say that women should not be abused. But we could also say this, that women should not be uh, killed in the womb. So your rights get trumped. Forgive the expression. Uh, it's, you can't use that word anymore, all right? That's, that's the problem, all right? Your rights get overridden uh, when you want to take the life of somebody else. Lost it. Where was I? Okay. Okay. So what, what we're talking about here is it says that uh, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. So the way that God has set it up, it's not a matter of whether I like it. It's the way that God has set it up. So follow me in this expression for a minute and just say, this is what it says, and I'm hoping that Matt is going in a good place here, that he's falling in line with the Scripture. So the head of every man is Christ. So Christ is my head. The way that God has set up the family is that the husband is the head of the wife. Now let's talk about what head means. Head literally means head, but also means uh, to be in authority or to be an overseer. And so at first glance, when you look at that and you say, oh, that's one of those churches, huh? When, uh, like they're they're going to be teaching here that women, you better fall in line. No, if you've ever been in any type of marriage uh, I hesitate to say counseling because I'm not a counselor. I'm a pastor, and so I can pastor you in the Word of God. There's many times where we want to see you go to an actual counselor because they're trained in that. They do that all the time. But if you've ever been in that type of situation with me, and we've sat down and you've both said, okay, we've got some serious problems, my focus is always to the man, and I say, listen, God has called you to be the leader. God has called you to be the head. That does not mean that, that that gives you any ability to be able to beat down either physically or anything along those lines. If anything from the word causes you to think that somehow you can be abusive verbally, sexually, uh, physically, whatever the case may be, 
you are dead wrong, and I would like to hurt you, okay? Like, that, like that, that needs to stop. What this means is this, is that it's saying you're the leader, you're the head, but Jesus is the one who shows us what leadership is. Now, if you've read anything about Jesus, like if you've, if you've even had like a cursory reading of the New Testament, and you just kind of read through it like, oh, he did this, he healed this person, he did that. Is there anything in there that tells you, like, this guy is a domineering jerk, I hate him, I don't like what he's saying, whatever. No, he's saying to uh, the woman who is a sinful woman who comes in and, and wipes his hair down, he, I mean, he's gracious to her. He, 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 she wipes his feet with her hair and whatever, right? He's gracious to her, the woman at the well, not just women, men as well. He's healing the sick. He's kind. He's gentle. Jesus shows us the model of what real leadership is. Leadership in our world is flipped on its head when it comes into your marriage, biblically speaking. It means this, that you are the lead sacrificer. You are the lead person in that marriage that says, I will sacrifice first. I will be the one to take the hit. I will be the one to be uh, grieved in this situation. And I will allow my wife, I will lift her up as a princess, and I, and I will say, I am going to honor you by serving you in leadership, in leadership in this respect. So leadership in our world is wrong. Jesus' leadership is right. That is the model of what it means to be a leader in your home. That's what headship is that's what leadership is in the home now what this just said you may still be like well i still don't like that well okay uh, let's keep going here but i want you to understand that the head of every man is, is christ the head of a wife is her husband and the head of christ is god so there's this series of of things here it's not necessarily a hierarchy but it's basically saying that this is the way that things should work so god christ man wife Verse 4, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Now stop right there. Well, read the next verse. But every wife who pr prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. What's that saying right there? It, there? There's two uses of the word head in these verses. This is confusing as all get out, so track with me for just a second. So he's saying there's a spiritual head, which is uh, Christ over the man, God over Christ, Christ over the man, man over over the woman. And remember, remember what I said. We're talking about Jesus' type of spiritual leadership and headship. So there's a spiritual head, but then there's also a physical head. So Paul is saying, I'm talking about your physical head and what happens in worship. Culturally speaking, this is what was going on here. He's saying, every man who prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Now, most commentators believe that what he's talking about is he's saying that in their culture, in their time, there's two things that could have been happening here. You're talking about the men. The men could have been coming forward and taking on some pagan rituals, and they would have been, been putting a veil over their head while they're praying, while they're prophesying. There's some historical evidence for that, but we do not know for sure. But Paul is saying, he's saying, I don't want you to take on pagan rituals, guys. Secondly, our girls. He says, I don't want you to pray or prophesy with your head uncovered. Now, we don't know specifically what he's talking about. It could mean one of uh, at least two things. So it's either they normally wore a veil 
and, and, and you know, a head covering, a hijab, uh, if you will, from the, the, the Mideast. And by the way, we've got some printed up with the outward logo, and so you, everybody will get one here at the end. I'm just kidding. We're not doing that, actually. So, <laughs> so uh, no, no uh, but he, he's, he could be saying, like, okay, you, you're, you're coming up to pray, and you don't have that on. And then he's, he's going to go on to talk about that a little bit more. Or he could be saying, like, when you come up front or you stand up in the service and you're doing something with your hair that's distracting, like it's down and it's, it's loose and it kind of looks sexy. A lot of you are in sin right now, all right? I'll just say that. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Wow, that was horrible. I should not have said that. So we're going to strike that from the record, all right? We, we just started video, by the way. <laughs> Um, so it could be a couple of different things. It could be that, he, that, they've, that their, their head is uncovered. It could be that their hair is up, and he's saying your hair should be down. We're not entirely sure. What we are sure about is that there's something culturally going on that we don't fully know about. And what's culturally actually taking place is probably that these women who are married are coming up and they're serving in the service by praying or prophesying, and what's happening is they don't have their veil on. We'll just call it that for right now. Now, the veil in that time, what having a head covering on, would mean that in some respect that they are married. Today, it would be a little bit like wearing a wedding ring. But Paul is saying, in our culture and in our time, when you are a married woman and you're not wearing a veil, what you're saying is, through nonverbal cues, you are saying, I'm available. I'm available. You're saying, I'm available. And so, therefore, what Paul is saying, you are dishonoring not just your physical head, but you're dishonoring your spiritual head. What this looks like is this, is that not only are you dishonoring God, Paul says to these, especially these women, but you're dishonoring your husband. Why? Because you're making it look like you don't have a husband. Now, let's just stop right there for a second. How are we people who honor our spouse by giving nonverbal cues that say, I'm taken, I'm taken? Just, just as an aside here, there's so much stuff that happens these days because there's so many means of communication. There's so many different ways. And I want to caution you on something. Just like the, the people in Corinth were saying, uh, all things are lawful. I can have a conversation with a guy as, as a woman. I can have, have a conversation. I mean, it, we're, we're friends. Why, why would you keep me from that? Because I am your husband. I'm not going to dictate every conversation that you have, but this conversation seems out of bounds. I'm threatened by this. I feel like you're dishonoring me. Oh, you're just a jealous guy. No, I'm, I love you, and I don't want to see this happen because this happens all the time. I want to see you be more careful with these relationships. Too many times people in marriages do not take these things seriously and say, uh, forget it. But what you don't understand, especially girls, sometimes, so many times, you have such great intentions, but we as men know better, all right? We know ourselves. We know what's going on. We know what's taking place in the mind of other men. Like, uh, oftentimes, they are uh, approaching you. You may not even know it. And so what he's saying is not only are you dishonoring God, but you're dishonoring 
uh, your spouse. And so he's saying that here is a problem in the worship, uh, in the context of worship in the church. And what's taking place is that there, there may be some pagan rituals coming in, but then there's this idea of we're free and now we're no longer encumbered by culturally specific things that say that I should look like this or look like that. Paul's saying that these are culturally specific and in your culture, you should abide by this and make it known that I am not available. I am not available. But even more than that, what he's saying is he's saying to men, he's saying, you should make it known that you are a man, that you are masculine. There's this idea of gender roles in here. Let's look at this uh, further. Verse, uh, verse 6, for if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. So he's saying, he's saying, like, if you're not going to cover your head, then you should shave your head because of this. Because something is going on here where your hair is attracting attention in a way that's not bringing glory to God, that's not honoring your spouse. And so therefore, just get rid of it all the way together so that we don't have this problem anymore. And so what he's saying is he's saying that this is an embarrassment. This, you should be embarrassed by this. You should be uncomfortable. You should have more self-respect than to walk through the world and say, somehow, I am available. Let's keep going. He says, for a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Now, what I don't want you to get from that, because uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, uh, in the image of God, he created uh, him, male and female, he created them. So what it's saying is that there is this idea of image bearing in humanity, male and female. But what Paul is saying here is he's saying that a man ought not to cover his head because there's something about the glory of God that is being restricted. We don't know exactly what that is, but God is not glorified in this sense, in this culture, when a man covers his head in this way. But what he's saying is, he's, it, well, let's, let's keep going here for just a second. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. So what Paul does is he goes back to creation and he says, here is the problem here. Like man is first in the created order. And Paul is saying that is meaningful in that he was created first and so therefore there's something about him that means that he should not cover his head, that it is, it is somehow shrouding the glory of God and then he says this in verse 9, Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Now, that's a, that's a tough one in our culture today because what it's saying is this, is that somehow there's this level of ownership which women just totally push back on. But if you go back to the creation story, when God says it is not good for man to be alone and he takes a rib out of the side of man and he creates woman. So there's some realities here, like if you're a Bible-believing Christian, like that, that say, okay, this was meaningful, this was spiritual, this was intended that God created man first and woman was created from him. Now, the other thing that this speaks to is this. Our world is constantly trying to tell you that you should be independent. Whether you are married or not, take on your independence. The problem with that is that that is not the way that you were designed. You were not designed for independence. 
You were designed for interdependence. There is a verse here in just a second. In fact, I'll read it here for you. Uh, he says, verse 10, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. I'll come back to that in a second. Verse 11, nevertheless in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For man was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. So he's saying that there is a placement and that the man has this role as leader, as head, as, as, as glory of God. But then he's also saying that here is the woman. And so the woman was taken from the man and she was created in that respect. So there's this order in that. But then there's also this idea that now man can't survive without woman. That man is birthed from woman. And so there's this interdependence that's taking place. What should we take from this? That somehow, in most of our context, that this always gets messed up. That because of the abuse of men, women say, I should be independent. The inequality of pay, the idea of, of, of rape, date rape, or uh, rape with even in the context of a marriage. Like, you should be independent. You should do these things. But the answer is not to say that now I need to be independent the answer is not that my independence needs to be asserted. It's that both of us need to come together and say, what does our interdependence look like? How are we interdependent on one another? And so what Paul is saying there is that the, the relationship between men and women is one that should be interdependent. They should be dependent on one another in spite of the fact that our world is saying otherwise. Like Beyonce had that song from... Uh, you know, Charlie's Angels, all the women independent, throw your hands up at me, all the honeys making money, throw your hands up at me. You didn't know I could do that, did you? Yeah. Girl, you didn't know I could get down like that. Now ask me why I know all the words to that song. Like, <laughs> I never, I, I promise you, I never bought the CD. Like, you just hear it on the radio. It's just infectious, right? It's just, just, it's satanic at the same time, but it's infectious, right? You're not independent. Now, I have two daughters. They're going into the world uh, sooner or later. My oldest daughter was asking me about uh, when she could marry uh, the boy that she's interested in uh, in, in school, and I was, like, absolutely horrified. I told her it would be 40. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, whatnot. But she, so she was asking me stuff about, like, you know, why, uh, why can't I marry somebody that, uh, that you don't like, Dad, or that you're not friends with? And I was like, I, I don't remember having this conversation necessarily, but, um, you know, uh, I better be friends with him or things are going to happen or, you know, stuff like that. But um, I basically wanted her to know that I don't want her going out in the world and saying, I, I'm looking for a man to complete me. Like your completion does not come finally and completely from a man. This idea of interdependence does not mean that you are, that you are weak Ladies, this idea of interdependence does not mean that you do not have um, a role that is, that, is, that is very important. 
when my daughter comes to marriage, my daughters, I want them to be uh, fully aware of who they are, yet understanding that God, spiritually speaking, has something more for them as they come into a relationship. And she and this guy come together, and there's this completion that takes place because it's not good that man should be alone. That that's what God intended, that we come together. And so I can raise her in every way possible to be somebody who's independent in a, in a real and godly way, independent from man with my, um, my help and my oversight as her father and through people who are discipling her and her mother and all of these. I can raise her to be somebody who's independent in that respect. The world doesn't speak into her life. She gets to hear from God. She gets to hear from her close uh, friends and family and church members. But the, the, the problem is that when our girls go into the world and say, I'm looking for you to complete me. I want you to be my everything. Your marriage can't bear that weight. Your marriage can't bear that weight. Your husband cannot bear that weight. And, and, and that is why both parties coming into a marriage and saying, I want you to complete me and I want you to make all of my dreams come true. I want you to make me feel like I'm the most important person in the world because that's ultimately what my parents told me and so therefore you need to fulfill that. Now the intention was this, is that you would be interdependent and that there would be uh, something that happens in the context of, of that marriage. So while you see this idea of head and uh, authority and things of that nature, you must also see that Paul firmly believes in this inter interdependent. Back to verse 10, it says, that is why a, a woman, I'm sorry, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, um, <laughs> what angels, Right? Uh, we, we don't know. We don't know. Tertullian uh, thought that they were the bad angels, fallen angels, who wanted to check out the girls. And so he, he thought they should be wearing a veil so that the bad angels can't see them while they're praying or prophesying. I don't know why, what that was all about. Um, there were just different takes on this. It could have been uh, some people thought that it was the, the angels from uh, Revelation that oversaw the churches. And so therefore, they should be modest in front of these angels uh, that would be overseeing the church. And some people thought multiple different things about this whole thing, the, we frankly just don't know. But what this is saying is it's saying what we do know is that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Now, that could mean one of two things. It could mean that like she's wearing a veil and so therefore she is under the husband's authority. And so she's telling other people that she is under authority. And there's different people that disagree on this, but I would just say that the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 uh, makes clear, if you haven't read that and you're married, you ought to read that. Read Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. He's basically recommunicating this. And then it tells husbands, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so it's talking about marriage relationships there. So is Paul talking here about saying she needs to have a symbol of his authority on her head? And I don't believe so. What I think he's saying here is he's saying there is an authority that comes in your life when you dressed modestly. When you, dressed, when, when you dress with modesty, you gain authority in your life. You have authority over who looks at your stuff. 
you have authority over uh, who approaches you, more authority. You have authority saying, this is the type of woman that I am. Your lack of authority comes in saying, I will submit to what the world says. I will submit to say that if you got it, flaunt it. I will submit to what the world says. And now all you are is, is a follower. All you are is someone who is in subjection to this world. You are being subjected daily, ladies, to this idea that somehow that you need to give out your stuff through what you wear and how you wear it, how free you look like you are from your husband. You are under subjection from our world. Don't get this wrong. They're saying, be free, do whatever you want, do exactly what we do, or you're not free. No, that's not freedom. That's tyranny. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying, you have an authority, ladies, when you are somebody who dresses modestly. You have an authority in your life that says that I'm in control. I am exhibiting self-restraint, self-control. I'm looking out for others. That is, other men who may be wandering with their eyes at me. I'm looking out for them. I'm especially, I'm doing that in the world. I'm doing that in my church. I'm doing that in our gatherings. I'm dressing modestly. That's what Paul is saying there, that there is this authority on her head that says, I'm in control of who I give, of what I give to who. Are you in control of what you give to who? Is the only way that you feel approval. Remember, approval is an idol that's deeply rooted in our lives. The only way that you can get approval is by saying, I, I want this guy to like me. If, if, you, if you get your sustenance, if you get, if you get your, your fulfillment through, he's checking me out, there is an idolatry problem. And our world has sold you a bill of goods that says that this is what should fulfill you, but it will tear you down. It will tear you down. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 13 says, Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Let's talk about that for a second. Not only is he saying that you've got these two different people, there's men and women, and he's affirming uh, their complementarity, okay? And complementarianism gets a bad rap, this idea. It's a kind of a theological term, and people look at that and they say, oh, that's where all of these subordinationist views come from, and, and they want to dominate their women. But complementarity is not that at all. Complementarity says that you have different gifts, you have better gifts in, in, in other areas that I do not have, and I need you. It's not... We have the same gifts. We can go do the same things. We can go whatever. Now, we may be able to do the same things, but it does not say that we are the same. It says that we are different, and therefore, uh, ladies, you should be respected because of who you are. Uh, you've been created 
uh, with different giftings. You've been created with different sensibilities. You've been created with incredible things. I do not know where I would be without my wife. I don't. Like My wife speaks in constantly to me and to the church. I regularly ask her questions and say, I want to know from you, like, what's happening here? What do you see me doing? Why? Because it matters. And because I'm the head, I'm the leader in the relationship. And so what that means is that my authority extends to, how have I been a jerk? It's not a question of if I have been. It's how have I been a, uh, been a jerk? Now that I said this in front of her, she's going to say, I don't think you've used those exact words, and I think you need to start asking me how you've been a jerk, right? <clears throat> I'm expecting her to say those things, but the further you go on in marriage, hopefully this is what you're finding out, the quicker you are to apologize, the better things go for you, guys, and girls too, but guys, you got to lead in this. Your wife's upset about something, just, just count on it. You did something wrong. It's just, you did. You, you might say, I, di- I didn't do that, but somehow you created the atmosphere because you're the leader for this to take place. You created the atmosphere for this to take place. Oftentimes, not all the time, oftentimes. So guys, you, you need to hear from your wives because there's this complementarity that's happening there. You're complimenting one another, and so you need to hear from her. Our giftings go together. We're not just the same, and so we're always butting heads. We are different, and so we can come together when we come together as one flesh, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and things work best in that respect. Now, in the midst of this complementarity is also the idea that there is a real and physical difference between the sexes. Uh, There is such a thing as masculinity, and it is a good gift from God. It is okay for you to be masculine in all of the God-honoring ways that that, and and all of the God-honoring ways that that means. It is uh, more than okay. It is required that you be protector that you be a provider, that you be somebody who is uh, working to uh, honor your wife and to build her up and things of that nature. Now, some of you are in a place where you're like, man, I lost my job. I haven't been able to be that. It doesn't mean you're living in sin. It means this. It means that right now things are a little different. But by God's grace, hopefully you're going to find a way to be able to fulfill that. But you are the provider. You are the, the, the masculine head of that relationship. There is nothing wrong with God honoring masculinity. When you honor your gender and the way that you act, you're honoring God. When you dishonor your gender, and I'm, I'm not talking about hair length here. The Apostle Paul definitely believes that, and I would say that generally speaking, you look around the world and men have short hair, women have long hair. I'm not going to die on that hill and say you're in sin if you have long hair in here. I, I don't think that that's what this is about. This is about masculinity. This is a, about being the man, playing the part of the man that you are biologically. There's a movement in our world that says that masculinity should fall by the wayside, and that's just and, and, and that's wrong, and that's whatever. Everything that they're pointing to are stereotypes and caricatures of what men have been in the past at different times in our sin. 
I'm only interested in sex and sports and whatever. I'm, I'm, only, I'm only in it for me. I just want my stuff. And that type of masculinity should die. But God-honoring masculinity should be there. Like sometimes guys need to put their cup on and just say, like, I just got to go into the world and I got to make this happen. Like you need to stop complaining. You need, you need to stop putting everything on your wife. You need to stop saying that somehow that she's equal partner in this. No, she is an equal partner. There's this one flesh, but you have a different role. Masculinity is for real. God gave it to you for a reason. And you should operate as a man. Which means this, that you should lead your family. To do otherwise, to not lead your family, to not be the spiritual influence in your household, is to take on a feminine role. Yeah, I just called you a girl, all right? Oh, I heard. I'm not trying to be insulting. It is to take on the feminine role. To not lead, spiritually speaking, in your home is to say, I'm going to leave that for someone else. That is, that, that is not what God has called you to. Ladies, you have a husband that doesn't want to lead spiritually. It's okay for you to lead spiritually. It doesn't preclude you from being able to do that. It just means this, that life is not working exactly the way that God has functioned. But here's the thing. We've seen many, many, many single moms. We've got moms in here right now that are raising their kids because dad left. And I just want to say, God, by his grace, is going to help you with the family of God. Maybe we're going to be able to come around you. And I know that we have in some ways and help you. Maybe hang out with your kids or something like that. I know that that's taken place. So what we're talking about is we're talking about the ideal that men need to be masculine, but women should be feminine. That women should, should have feminine traits. That these are not wrong things. The women's gathering that happened in Washington, D.C. recently, although there may have been, and I don't know all of the details of it, but I would say this, that there may have been some things that were positive. By and large, there was nastiness, disgusting talk, filthy talk, saying that somehow it's okay for a woman or even a man to talk like this. Now, I am for women being uplifted. Ephesians 5 says that. I am for the husbands and for men in general, married, not married, to lift up married and unmarried women and say, you are a princess in our midst and we will honor you. We'll treat you, the unmarried, as though you're sisters. We'll treat our wives as though they're everything and lift them up. But this is not what femininity is. This is feminism. Now, I'm not teaching against the idea of feminism per se. What I'm saying is that in our world, with feminism comes this idea that you should be free from your husband, you should uh, lay aside every chain, and you should do whatever you want. But what this is saying is it's saying that there must be self-restraint. There must be self-respect. 
You have an authority that you can take as a woman. Feminism, or I'm sorry, femininity is a good thing to be valued and not to be discarded. So what's happening in our world right now? Gender confusion. Are people with gender confusion people loved by God, created in His image? Yes. And that is exactly why I would never tell them the most hateful thing that they will ever hear, which is, you want to be another gender? That sounds good. Do you know what that is the equivalent of? I feel ugly. Oh, do you? Huh. I've been thinking for a long time that maybe you should get plastic surgery because you really are ugly. Like, what in the world? Sorry, this world is so jacked up that you really are messed up. You should change. No. The image of God in each one of us says this, that you are who God created you to be. Your value does not come from the fact that you, are, uh, that you are this, but your value comes from the fact that you are created in the image of God. God has made you exactly the way that he wants you, and as a result, what it means is that you should fulfill the calling of your biological gender. And so how should Christians respond to that? We believe in wholehearted biological uh, masculinity and femininity. And by the way, we love people who are in the midst of that confusion. And we will love them in and through that. And we will continually work so hard not to offend them. But we will not change the way at this church, the way that our restrooms are used, because we believe that there should be separation there. We will not change some things because people have confusion in that respect. I will not enter into that. Biologically speaking, there's n- there is no reason to believe that anything has changed in that respect. So Paul says this. He says, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? He's saying, you need to look at this for yourself. This looks uh, scandalous. You should be careful of that. I should skip to verse 16 because I think we've um, uh, already covered this. Verse 16, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. You want to fight about this? Paul says, we're not going to fight. We're not going to fight. I so wanted to get all the way through chapter 11, and I am totally out of time. What I want to say to you is, is this. I want, to, I want to say this, that verse 28 says, Let a person examine himself then. What does it look like for you to examine yourself in light of what Jesus has done for you? Where have you been dishonoring to your head? Where have you been dishonoring to God? Where have you been dishonoring to others? Where have you been dishonoring in any of these ways that I've listed? What's offending you the most right now? What's the most offensive thing that you're, that you're hearing that's probably an area where you may need work? 
Jesus went to the cross, and do you think he was offended? When they, they, they punched him and they beat him and they whipped him, and ultimately what, what took place is that this guy's rights, everything he had on this earth taken, his friends desert him, and yet he's dying on the cross for you and for me. And yet that's what he's doing. The Apostle Paul is saying here, he's saying, I want you to examine yourself in light of that. I want you to examine yourself. That's why we do the Lord's Supper. I want you to examine yourself and say, like, what, what about my life is out of alignment with God, with the gospel? What about my life is this? It says in John chapter 13, it says that, um, it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then it goes into talking about how Jesus is sitting at the Last Supper, which is the model for the Lord's Supper. It's the model for communion. And he's sitting at the Lord's Supper, and he's eating with these people. And it says, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. He's sitting with people that are, that are going to send him to his death, Judas. He's sitting with a guy who's going to deny him three times. Like, you and I are buds. Three times, Peter? What the? Are you serious? He's sitting at the table, and this scripture says, John chapter 13, verse 1, says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So what this is saying is, is it's saying this. When you come to the Lord's table, and you examine yourself, and you come to communion as a believer, and that's the only appropriate way to come to the Lord's table is as a believer. But what you're doing is you're examining yourself and you're saying, how can I not possibly give up what, I've, what I think I, I'm owed? How can I not possibly give up on these things and surrender to God and say, how can I not possibly? Jesus sat there loving people that hated him. Jesus sat there loving me, knowing that I would deny him, that I would sin against him, and yet he went to the cross anyway. Won't you examine yourself at the Lord's table this morning? If you're a believer, what it says is for you to take a look at yourself and to say, am I right with God? Am I right with God in these areas of my life? Stop looking to the world to be your approval. Look to God Allow yourself to be offended. Ask him to change the offense in your heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you for hearts that are willing to change, and we ask you for uh, the ability um, to look into these very difficult scriptures and to, um, to rightly assess ourselves. Lord, I, I don't believe that you're into headscarves, but what you are into is modesty. You are into this idea of gender-specific honoring of God in the way that you've created us. Lord Jesus, would you make that clear to us? Lord, show us the ways that we have not operated in a way that's honoring to you with our gender, in our marriage, in, in various ways. Lord, allow us, 
uh, to right now as we go to the Lord's table that we would examine ourselves and say, Lord, judge me rightly. Allow me to see what you have for me by the power of your Holy Spirit, knowing that you went to the cross loving your own to the end. Lord Jesus, we ask you for that in your name. Amen.